Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks, and welcome back to my favourite time of the week. And I'm really lucky to have an old friend of mine, Annette Barnes, who I was fortunate enough to work with. And Annette has had an incredible career, um, wishing to begin as a physiotherapist, but it didn't work out. We'll hear why later on. Um, but then she went into financial services, um, ended up uh, with MBNA, and then on to Lloyds Bank, where she had some cracking jobs, uh, huge, uh, sizable jobs, like a COO within, uh, within the bank, and then looking after um, banks in Scotland, and then finally, um, the CEO of the Lloyds Private Bank. Now she's non-executive director to three very prestigious organisations, and Annette, lovely having you here on the series. Thank you. Um, who, who, if we were going straight into inspirational leadership, um, who, who would you pick out as the couple of people who'd been inspiring to you? Or, and what were their qualities that stuck out for you? You know, I think probably a couple of folks. People that are genuine, that lead with integrity and take their teams with them, I think yeah. inspire me. Yeah. Um, a couple of examples of that would be when I was very early in my career, um, I was working for a company called Northwest Securities. Yeah. Um, I was in IT, I was a systems designer, and we had a particularly um, important sales activity that needed to go on. Um, and my CIO, John Callan, had been asked to go along and be part of the sales pitch. Yeah. Um, and John said, you know, no, 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 Annette will need to go. You know, Annette will be absolutely fine. She'll do a great job. Um, and just recognising, you know, this is my boss's boss's boss at the time. Mm, mm. Um, and they asked for him probably three or four times, said, no, 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 we need you to come along to this. And he said, no, 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 Annette will do a great job. She'll be absolutely fine. Um, I went along. We did absolutely fine. We got the sales activity. Oh. And I think for me, the leadership lesson in all of that and the inspirational thing about John in that was he trusted me. Yeah. You know, he had faith and trust in me, probably more than I had in myself at the time. Yeah. Um, and that really resonated with me and that stuck with me for a long time. Very powerful. Um, I guess probably number two would be later in my career um, as a director of a European bank, I worked for a gentleman by the name of General Charles Krulak. So yeah, he was yeah. ex-commandant of the Marine Corps in the US, um, was chief exec of this bank now. And, and I guess the lesson I learned from him was he walked the floor every day. You know, he went and chatted to colleagues every single day. He went and had his lunch with different colleagues every single day and just gave him a really nice sense of the culture of yeah. the organisation. Yeah. You know, he really understood what made people tick and what was on their minds at that particular point in time. I think both those are really crucial qualities uh, and stand out inspiring leaders, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I, love, I absolutely, absolutely love both those examples. And then um, you've had some incredible successes, but also uh, you're very human and like, like me, you've made your fair share of mistakes. Indeed. Um, I think I've made more than you, though. Um, <laughs> 
But, but what would be your story and your example of when you got it wrong mm-hmm. and, and, and how that shaped you and what you learned from getting it wrong? I think as I got more senior, I realised that leadership, it's not about you anymore. It's about the team you lead and how you help and nurture them to be successful. Um, and the, the problem I had um, when I had my first director role I remember we had a particular issue that we were all dealing with. And I thought, I honestly, genuinely thought I was doing the right thing. We were all there 10 o'clock at night fixing this problem. um, And I thought that was the right way to help and support the team. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the team came into my office and said, you know, we don't need to catch everything because we know that you will. Wow. And I thought, wow, you know, that floored me completely. And and I think that particular example and that particular experience made me change my leadership style quite fundamentally. Yeah. Um, one of my mentors, not long after that, actually, you know, she was a fantastic mentor and she used to talk about the three L's, listen, learn and lead. And that really resonated with me after that mm. particular, you know, example, because I thought I need to listen a lot more. I need to learn from what I'm hearing and support the team, not necessarily doing, but supporting, and then lead in a far better way. That, that is a really great story. And it, so many people in, in coaching do find that the biggest issue they're getting feedback on is not micromanaging other mm, people. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Indeed, funny enough, Lee, my wife was just talking about this as CEO of her, her own charity that she... Mm-hmm. She's trying to do everything cheaply, and, and and so it ends up she does quite a lot of it herself. But yeah. she's got a, a great person supporting her. But she, she's now started to delegate more and, and yes. stop trying to do it all herself because uh, you've got to let people have that belief and that trust, Indeed. and then they will fl- they flourish. Indeed. But if you, if you Absolutely. are doing it all for them, they go, well, we don't need to do it, no, and, that, and that'll catch it. And actually, it's very rare anybody's ever let me down. You yeah. know, so if you give them the trust. And the ownership, people will fly. You know, they absolutely will. But I also remember that you used to, if people had made a mistake, you'd use it as a a learning opportunity. Yes, absolutely. What have you learned? Yes. And and what are you going to do to resolve it? Yeah, absolutely. Rather than you solving it, mum will sort it out. Yeah, Yeah, no. no. no, (laughs) Otherwise that won't work. It doesn't work. Yeah, that's that's great. I think that will stay with me for quite a long time. And then then, uh, maybe you said um, you got a couple that you liked from previous podcasters yes and then we'll have your top tip at the end what were the yeah. couple that you, you liked from previous podcasters i really liked the higher slowly fire fast yes from uh, alison Nimmo. indeed i liked the be confident you know one of my favorite phrases is whether you think you can or you think you can't you're right mm-hmm. and that for me is you know a hugely important one being confident um and be resilient as yeah. well, I think with three great top tips from prior ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think for me, my top tip would be stay relatable. You know, as you get more senior in the organisation, you have to remember where you came from and how it felt more importantly. Yeah. Um, and I always remember, if I can tell you a quick story, yeah, I yeah. always remember um, I was really junior. I was asked to go and drop off some paperwork was, in, in, in the executive the wing. This was MBA when MBA. it was very, very early days. Um, and I was asked to go and drop off this paperwork. So I went into the executive wing. You know, little did I know that would be one of my offices in the future. But I went in there. There were no secretaries there because it was lunchtime. And I just didn't know what to do with this paperwork. 
So one of the doors of one of the executive's offices was open. So I knocked very quietly on the door and said, excuse me, I'm sorry to bother you, but I've got this paperwork to drop off. Where would you like me to put it? Um, And this person spun around in their chair, pointed and said, put it outside in the tray. And, you know, that made me feel this big. And I thought, as a leader, as I get more senior, I hope I never, ever make somebody feel like that because it's just not the way to be. So I think you have to stay relatable. Remember how it felt when you weren't a senior and make sure that that comes across to the people that you work with. Yeah, because, of course, the general, the Marine Corps general, he he would never have done that. No, no. He would have come and chat, hello, who are you? You're Annette. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. Uh, I I do think it it takes so little effort, Mm -hmm. but people do get too carried away with themselves. That's a story I won't forget. (laughs) Annette, thank you. That's absolutely fantastic. We're going to have some inspiring leadership extra in a minute, but I just want to say thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, And and congratulations on a a great uh, career. Uh, and also, I think the, the three organisations are going to be very lucky to have you as their non-executive director. So that's the Leeds Building Society, Society. Yeah. Old Mutual Wealth Old Mutual Wealth, and Global Data, who yeah. are at AIM listed PLC. Fantastic. Great roles. Thank, Thank you, you very much indeed. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to Inspiring Leadership Extra, where I continue the conversation with Annette Barnes. And uh, Annette, we, we're going to have a talk about your um, your early life. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us a bit. You know, this amazing lady that you are today, modesty aside, how did it all begin? You know, what were in those early stages of your life when you were a young girl? Mm-hmm. What, what what things stuck in your mind that shaped the leader you are today? I think if I think about the family, so mum and dad um, were at home, um, as was my sister, who's ooh, nearly six years older than I am. Um, I think, you know, mum and dad have always been very supportive, which is was super. Mum was the main wage earner, interestingly, in our family, because my dad was self-employed. So it was either feast or famine. Um, and therefore, you know, when it was feast and he had lots of work on, um, we'd have the odd takeaway, which was all very exciting in our house. Um, and and what, when, what did Dan do? What did he do? was a floor tiler, yep. a joiner. Uh-huh. Um, so he was a time-served joiner and he used to fit these um, parquet floors. Yep. And mum was a medical secretary, so she yep. worked at the local hospital. Um, and so both very supportive. I think from my point of view, seeing mum, though, being the main wage earner was actually very different in those days. You know, growing up in the late 60s, early 70s, it was very rare for mum to be the main wage earner and dad mm. not to be. Mm. Um, and that will become relevant as I, I moved on in my life. And I'll tell you a little bit more about when, when I got married and what happened. Um, so there wasn't a huge amount of money at home, you know, and therefore, you know, every penny counts. And I saw them work incredibly hard to provide for us and make sure that we had what we needed, which was, you know, amazing of them, really. Um, I headed through school. Um, of course, because my sister was older, by the time I got to high school, she'd gone. Um, and therefore, it, it sort of felt a lot more independent, I guess, than, yep. than having siblings at school because she'd already headed off. Um, I started working part-time when I was 15, probably should have been 16, but anyway, mm. uh, when I was 15 and loved that. You know, and I worked... It's quite a work ethic of... Yes, yeah. exactly. And I loved actually, because we didn't have a huge amount of money at home, um, I loved the fact that somebody was prepared to pay me, you know, yeah. 
And, yeah. and that was amazing. I got my first paycheck and thought, wow, somebody's Whoa. paying me for something. Um, and so that was great. So I, I waited on at a local hotel. Um, I worked every possible shift going. Um, the first thing I bought out of my wages was a dinner service for my parents because oh, they didn't nice. have a full dinner service at that point in time. Yeah. Um, and I was just delighted to be able to buy them this dinner yeah, service, yeah. you know. Um, so, so I think that for me was really important. Um, I then, I wanted to be a physiotherapist. So I, do, I was doing all of my sciences and I found out that I had arthritis in my back. Wow. Um, so having done lots of work at the local hospital um, and I guess with mum having worked there as well, you know, spent a lot of time in and around hospitals, um, it, I wasn't really sure what to do next. You know? And by the way, how did you cope with, and how have you coped now, uh-huh. with the arthritis in your back? As long as I'm active, it doesn't bother me at all. Really? No, fantastic, yeah. So as long as I you know, either run or you know, walk or climb mountains or do whatever, it's absolutely fine. If I stop, then it starts causing me problems. Yeah, there's um, a, a whole fascinating book, uh, The Health Revolution, uh-huh. about an inflammatory lifestyle and inflammatory foods which right. affect arthritis okay. and autoimmune systems but yeah. that's another story yeah so so Want you read. you you couldn't do the physiotherapy no. because of the arthritis yes in the back. agreed so i decided to take a year out thinking it would be a year out because of course i was doing all of my sciences and i thought i don't know if they're the right things to do so i took a year out what age was this 17. 17, yeah. So I started working at a finance house um, as a collections clerk, and I loved it. You know, I loved helping customers. I loved working with people. Um, I loved that they paid me at the end of the day. You know, all of those things I just adored. Um, There was an opportunity to retrain into IT, so an equivalent of an apprenticeship these days, and I chose to do that. Um, So I became an IT systems programmer, um, I'm just catching you here because the thing that I've just reflected on, you know, you're one of, you've been a CEO twice? Once. Once. Yeah. Been a CEO once. Yeah. But, you know, top jobs that you've had. Yeah. Um, Bank of Scotland you had. Yes, managing director of Bank of Scotland. Director, which is like a yeah. sort of crazy yeah, like CEO is. role. And now you're non-executive director. You know, one of these, and yet you haven't got a university degree. Correct. Uh, and so this is a great encouragement for me, for many uh, men and women out there who go, oh, well, I can't do this because of, mm-hmm. you know, you've, you've climbed all the highest mountains, mm-hmm. uh, in, metaphorically as well as physically, uh, and, and been very successful without that because it's not, just about qualifications, it's about being smart, street smart. Agreed. So let's sorry, yeah. carry on. I just was Agreed. fascinated by that. You know, and it's it's interesting. My, you know, our eldest son, we've got two boys, which I'll come on to later, but our eldest son sometimes will say, I'm not sure I'm clever enough. Yeah. Um, and I'll and you know, he's at an amazing university, so he's incredibly clever. Yeah. Um, but when you have that, you know, little niggle, my my answer to him would always be, it's about IQ and EQ. Yeah. You have to be smart enough. And you also have to get on with people and know how to get the best out of people and the best out of yourself as well. So I think you have to have that combination. And hopefully, hopefully that, you know, that makes up for me the fact that I didn't go to university and I didn't get that degree. Yeah. Um, Fantastic. So I started as a collector. I moved into IT. I retrained. Um, I was a rubbish systems programmer really rubbish <laughs> you know I always remember my my boss gave me a program I was delighted because I'd finished this program um and he gave it me back and he said rewrite it because he said how long did it take to run and I said oh 30 minutes he said rewrite it <laughs> it needs to be less than a minute really <laughs> so I was like okay so I was a rubbish IT systems programmer I learned a lot though about discipline about 
analysis and design. And then that's the route I took. Mm. So I moved into systems analysis and design, the typical sort of IT route. Um, loved helping the business figure out how to improve their processes or their systems or make things better for customers. So I loved doing that. Um, and then I was headhunted to a company called MBNA. Oh, yeah. Um, brand new company, no customers. Really? Um, no I, customers? No customers. And I was Come initially, on. you know, my initial view was, no, I'm doing fine where I am, thank you, because I was, you know, really enjoying it, being promoted regularly um, and continuing to move forward. And it was only actually when I went to see their HR director that she talked to me about the culture and the ethos of the organisation. And over every door was think of yourself as a customer. Literally. Literally, literally over, over, over every single door, think of yourself as a customer. And that, for me, was was it, you know, because that just resonated. It made complete sense. Mm. Um, and back to your, you know, what you did the physio to help people. Here yes. you are, you're helping customers. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So I joined MBNA, as I said, no customers. You know, one day we were trying to figure out how to get a call centre running. The next day we were painting walls, you know, literally. Really? Literally, you know. So it was a brand new organisation. Um, and just really fun to see that organisation grow and become something quite, quite different. Um, and I guess during my time with MBNA, I took every opportunity. So, Annette, you were talking about um, MBNA and every opportunity that you had, you took. Tell me yep. a bit more about your time at MBNA. I, I think just taking every opportunity that they gave to me. So, I started in IT for obvious reasons, but then moved into running the call centres, the back office risk control, underwriting, credit, fraud, collections, etc. You know, and I think that gives you a far broader view of, of an organisation. Um, and I was there for 11 years. We then were bought by Bank of America, um, a completely different organisation. So I went from a 25,000 people organisation, including the US folks in MBNA, to a 300,000 people organisation. Absolutely huge. massive. Um, and for me, the difference with that was, how do I get things done? You know, mm. how do I influence and make sure I can get things done in an appropriate way? Um, I was very lucky. I had some great mentors from Bank of America and had the opportunity to spend some time with some very senior folk in the organisation. Um, and I always remember, you know, one of the senior ladies that I spent time with she came with me to our operations in Ireland and she gave me some feedback um, whilst I was there. Um, and the feedback was around making sure that my team had the opportunity to show her what they were capable of, as well as me showing her what the team were capable of. And I always remember I went back to the US not long after that, probably three or four months after that, um, and gave her an update on the feedback she'd give me and said, this is what I've done about it. Mm. And the, the piece that amazed me was she said, you know, and I've given feedback to hundreds, you know, if not thousands of people over the years. And you are the first person to book in with me, book time in my diary and give me an update on wow. what you've done about the feedback. Um, and, you know, I just thought that was really quite scary, you know, yeah. that, that having at a very senior level given her time to give me some feedback to help mm. me improve. Um, that I was the first person that turned up back on a doorstep to say, yeah. this is what I'm doing about yeah. it. Yeah. So I think, you know, as a leader, following through and making sure that you do follow up with people is hugely important. You know, yeah. how many folks say, oh, yes, we must catch up, must catch up but never, never do. do. <laughs> never do. Yeah. 
Okay. So from MBNA, how did how did Lloyd's get hold of you? So I I guess there were two reasons for me to move from from MBNA. Because you finished at what kind of what kind of roles were you doing? You said you went to the executive suite in the end. You were the yeah, person I, who was absolutely. in the swivel chair, but you weren't saying put it over there. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I was the European um, director of underwriting and collections and recoveries. Wow. Um, and we were the largest credit card issuer in Europe at yeah. that point in time. So we'd literally gone from no customers to being the largest credit card issuer in Europe. So I was on the main board of MBNA. I'd loved my time there, had an absolute blast, loved every opportunity they'd given me. But two things really made me want to, to move at that point. Firstly, I think I'd done everything I wanted to do in that organisation in terms of role. Yeah. Um, and secondly, we have two boys. So, you know, we were... I got married at 20. Um, We waited 10 years and then decided to have our boys. So we had two amazing boys. And then I wanted to be around for them. You know, I was the main wage earner. So my husband and I did a swap. He stays at home and I I earn. Yeah. Um, And... How does that work? Because I've come across a number of people who've done it, but how does it work? For us, it works incredibly well. Yeah. Incredibly well. Um, What, What has he done with his time at home? He, you know... He spends his time making sure that the boys have what they need, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, he's always in the garden, so we have a great garden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a very good gardener. Um, he was a chef for yeah. 20 years before yeah. before we did the swap. Um, and so dinners generally are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, not good for the waistline, but pretty good. <laughs> and so so he stayed at home with the boys. Fantastic. And that allowed me to do what I needed to do I think more women, more women are doing this, where yeah. they, they sit down and talk it through. I know my daughter, Brani, she and uh, her partner, uh, they've got a nice house together. And they have said that, you know, maybe if she had a family, he might stay at home. Absolutely. And I think this is far healthier to, to make a decision between them, who's yeah. going to do what. Yeah. And that was my second reason, really, for leaving MBNA, because the boys were then at the age where I felt I could do more from a career point of view. And I'd done all of the jobs I wanted to do with MBNA. Yeah. So... I'd spoken, a headhunter had approached me and said he thought it would be great if I had a chat with Lloyds. I went and had a chat with Lloyds and, you know. The rest is history. Hence, exactly. The rest uh, what is was history. the first role you went into with Lloyds? So initially I started looking after the retail and wealth operations business. Yeah. So it was about three and a half thousand people supporting all of the customers in the retail bank and the wealth yeah. bank as well. Um, I then moved on to a programme called End-to-End Simplification. Um, and I guess this is one of the examples for me, which was one of those things you always need to take the opportunity. So I got a call from my boss to say, we've got this big programme, you know, at £1.2 billion, 200 projects running concurrently. Who was your boss at the time? Um, my boss at that time was Ed Smith. And then this particular new job, I'd be working for Mark Fisher. And I'd oh, always yeah. wanted to work for Mark. Yeah. Um, so I remember I got a call to say, would you like to do this? You know, you don't have to do it. You've got enough credibility with this organisation to say, no, you know, please mm-hmm. do it if you want to do it. And I always remember I rang my husband. Um, this is back to people keeping you firmly with your feet on the ground. I rang my husband and I said, you know, what do you think? I've been offered this opportunity. Should I do it? And he said, well, it's working for the guy you want to work for. Um, yes, it's project management again, because I was saying, well, I did project management 10 years ago, why would I go back to project management again? And he said, but you know you can do it. You know you can be successful because you're really good at that. 
Um, it's working for the guy you want to work for. It's a promotion. Why are you ringing me? (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, yeah, okay, fair enough. Bye. (laughs) So, so I think from that point of view, you know, he keeps me very grounded. Um, I love doing that role, you know, and I got a great breadth of seeing the whole organization, all four divisions of the, the organization. Um, and you know, my initial reaction was I've done project management 10 years ago, actually, you know, I still learned a stack Plus, I could leverage the skills I had in terms of project management. Okay. And what Um, did you go on to after that? Then I, oh, which way around was it? Then I ran customer operations. Yeah, that was big, wasn't it? It was 14,000 people supporting 30 million customers. It's like an armoured division. It is like an armoured division. Um, 14,000 people, you know, fantastic people helping customers, fixing things, supporting customers. and loved it, really, yeah. really enjoyed it. You know, I, I think I've I've got to the point in my career, I understand what I'm good at and leading big teams to improve things is, is definitely one of yeah. my core strengths. Um, then I was asked to run Bank of Scotland, the retail bank. That's a cool job. Fantastic cool job, job, based in Edinburgh. You know, I spent a lot of time on the road um, understanding from branch colleagues, you know, what should we do? You know, what would it, be the right thing to do? It's a very prestigious, you know, brand. It is, and, it is. Uh, and, and so you'd be the face of Bank of Scotland. Exactly. Yeah. And it's literally, you know, you it's a legacy that you leave. That organisation has been around since, you know, 1600 and odd, and, and therefore you are there for just a tiny amount of time. Yeah. And you have have to make sure that that legacy continues yeah um, great. and during my time there we needed to make some pretty significant decisions around branch closures they hadn't closed branches for a very long time yeah. um, and understandably customers you know were not using the branches to the degree that they had previously no. so we had to make some some tricky decisions and I guess the thing that I was delighted about was my colleague engagement scores went up even after we'd announced branch closures wow. Um, Because I think, because I'd spent so much time on the road understanding from them, what would you do? How would you do it? What's the right thing to do? Great. Um, And then my last role with Lloyd's was chief exec of the private bank. That must be Um, very interesting. People that often don't know that Lloyd's has a private bank. Absolutely. It's a great secret, isn't it? Fantastic organisation, fantastic business. How many clients do the private bank have? Well, it's changed now um, because it's been absorbed into another organization yeah. but at the time um at the time over half a million wow customers that's a lot. yeah that's a lot. so yeah. it's a lot of customers um and therefore you know you're you're dealing with then a very different kind of colleague and a very different kind of customer you know customers that want to invest customers that have mm, have mm. funds to invest with you but also colleagues that are um highly um qualified in terms of wealth advisory um and therefore again just a fantastic talented bunch of folks mm. that really just wanted some you know leadership yeah. um, and that's the that's the element that I I brought to them and and I guess during um, my time at Lloyd's you know I had a fantastic time at Lloyd's they gave me some great opportunities um, I think for me though I got to seven years and I'd been on the road for seven years at well, this point because your, your home is up in home is Wales Wales I was gonna think yeah home yeah. is North Wales um, and my husband was as I say at home full-time bringing up the kids um, and that just made financial sense for us because it cost more to employ a nanny or to send them into childcare than it did for, for his salary because he yeah. was a chef so it just made financial sense plus we wanted one of us to be there all the time um, so I got to the point, having been on the road for seven years, 
that I wanted to spend more time before the children left and went yeah. to university, you know, because yeah. they were they were finishing off A-levels, they were, they were heading off. Um, and I thought, you know, as much as I'd had my rules in place, so I would always take them to school on a Friday, I'd always work from home one day a week, you know, and, and those rules keep you sane. I think it's really yeah, it's important, important to have, to have those that. rules. It is. It is. Really people, important. people give up those rules. And it's exactly. Insane. You know, even things like, you know, I wouldn't use the Blackberry when I don't use Blackberries anymore, do they? But I wouldn't use the Blackberry when they were around. We'd always sit at the dinner table together if we were all in. No technology at the dinner table. You know, all of those rules that that I think has hopefully helped them grow up to be really balanced. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to spend more time with them before they headed out. So I decided that I wanted to be there more I didn't want to be on the road every week and I also decided that I didn't want to work in London five days a week yeah um because ultimately being on the succession plan for group executive committee yeah because you were picked out by Antonio Hortosaro who's a big a big bear um very public kind of figure and he chose two or three women that he wanted to mentor and bring on yes. as the future stars and you yes. were one of them yes so it was a, a big thing having been picked out like that to to step away from that yes absolutely. did you find that hard um it was yes and no so it was hard to say it's time to leave lloyd's because because they'd been incredibly good to me you know i mm. had an amazing set of roles um I had a, a great time with Lloyds. At the same time, you know, I think I've always been quite true to my values and my beliefs. Mm. Um, I also had breast cancer um, in 2016. Wow, let's step over that. That's such a big thing. Yeah. And that was, where were you in Lloyds at the time? I was running Bank of Scotland Retail Bank. So that must have been huge. Yeah, it was. Did it just like fail you? Like, I didn't see this coming, you know? I certainly didn't see it coming. Yeah. I was very, very lucky that they found it soon, quickly, yeah. um, and they found it from one of my annual medicals. So had I not had an annual medical, and so many people that are entitled to an annual medical don't take it because they're too busy, you know, I would always say, go for your medical, yeah. you know, otherwise they wouldn't have found it. So I went for an annual medical, they found what it was, thankfully they caught it early, um, and I remember ringing my... Um, number two in Bank of Scotland Retail to say, I'm not going to be in on Monday morning. You're in charge. (laughs) (laughs) You're it. And he was amazing. And I I must say the whole organisation was incredibly supportive. They were amazing. You know, I had more flowers than Kew Gardens. They were, they did personal notes. They were amazing. They were really supportive. Um, So I got that sorted. I was out for three months um, and then came back into work. Again, not stepping over something as big as as, uh, cancer, um, dealing with cancer. How has that made you change your health and well-being? Um, you always, when we were coaching together, you always were someone who was very dynamic, very driven, but you were quite personal in, in your fitness and health. What, what's changed? Or what did, what did you reinforce as a result of that? I think for me, that, that was a big reason, again, another reason for me choosing to not be away five days a week. Um, so I moved, I decided to move into a plural career and work with different organisations in beginning of 2018. Um, Lloyds were immensely supportive. They were fantastic, you know, and, and they didn't have to be. They, yeah. they could have kicked and screamed and they didn't. They were incredibly supportive um, from the whole organisation. And, and I thought, you know, I want to spend more time with my boys because they needed more time at that particular at that mm-hmm. particular time. Um, I didn't want to be in London five days a week. I'd had this breast cancer situation 
And so I just wanted to re reassess, you know, and spend yeah. the time. And Ray and I have been married for 30, ooh, 31 years this year. You know, Thank you. And we still like each other. I don't think that's normal these days. <laughs> it it? You doesn't know. seem to be. Yeah, considering we, we, I got married when I was 20, he's a bit older than me, he's six yeah. years older than me. But, you know, we still really enjoy spending time together. Yeah. So I think because of that, I wanted also, you know, he'd been so good at bringing the boys up. I wanted to make sure that... I was around, you know, and we could get on the bikes and go down the coast yeah. or go for a walk over the top of the hill or whatever it may be. And yeah. we now do that. And, yeah. and I find it a lot more balanced. So, so tell us, um, we've got a bit of time left. So tell us a bit about um, the non-executive director roles and, and how it's been going plural from, yeah. from busy exec, because many of the leaders I work with think about this. And then secondly, I want to hear about the boys, because okay. you and I have chatted about one of your sons who... who yeah. Was going to go in the army? He's now about? thinking about it again. Okay, yeah, he yeah. is. Okay, so, so maybe we'll come back to that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, tell, tell us about the, the, the transition from busy senior exec role, yeah. um, CEO, into, into plural role as a non-executive director of three organisations. Um, I started working with one organisation as a non-exec before I left my exec career yeah, yeah that's quite a good um, way of doing it isn't it and I think that really helped me because you know as you go from a very busy exec career I wasn't sure whether I would like being a non-exec you know because you go from a lot of you know being in charge of and leading and supporting and having a team that you work directly with to actually oops actually being accountable for you know yes the company and a fiduciary responsibility to the company but you don't really have a team anymore you don't mm. really have the people anymore mm. to help and support and encourage yeah. Um, so I wasn't sure I'd like it and I found I loved it. So I think for me, having a non-exec role before I moved out of exec helped solidify for me that that's what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, and since then, so I now work with um, a number of organisations. I work with Leeds Building Society, still with Global Data, which is an AIM-listed PLC, mm -hmm. fast growing. Um, and I also work with it's part of the Quilter Group, um, Old Mutual Wealth mm -hmm. Limited and Old Mutual Wealth Life and Pensions Limited. Um, for me, that gives me a really nice mix of organisations yeah. because I've got a mutual that's been there for a long time. I've got an AIM-listed PLC that's growing fast. And I've got an insurance and wealth management company, which was part of my background. Um, so for me, having that portfolio allows me to bring different skills but it also means I learn different things from all of those different yeah. organisations as well, because I think you learn as much as you give. You yeah. um, and I think because of that, you know, one, one of the guys I spoke to when I was thinking of going plural said to me, um, don't oversell yourself. You know, just be really clear on what you're really good at and where you can add value yeah. and where you're not. You yeah. know, because the whole purpose of having a balanced board is having completely different skills around the table. So, right, but you touched on something which reminds me that one of the things with some of the execs is, do you try and add too much value? And I know when I've got it wrong, I've tried to add too much value. Yes. Or CEOs I know have tried to add too much value. And and that was a nice comment you made there. Just just know what you are good at and don't try know and Know what you're much. good at. No, exactly. Yeah. And yes, you'll learn and you'll get better at different yeah. things. Of course you will. But I guess for me, it, it was about being really clear. You know, I am an operations, IT, big people business, risk and control person. Correct. That's what I'm good at. Fantastic. You know, I am not, you know, a salesperson or, you know, no, I'm not an accountant. No, you know. it's, it's a very so good... So play to your strengths, very, very definitely. Good. No, I'm enjoying it at the moment being an advisor 
they have an advisory board mm -hmm. to a, a tech yes. startup which is doing very well. Perfect. Which, funny enough, is is doing the uh, the, the replatforming for Lloyd's. Yeah. Uh, Thought Machine. Yeah. And yeah. and they're a fascinating company, ex Google guys. Uh -huh. And I'm doing the sort of leadership bit of the advisory, and right. I love being yeah. on the advisory panel. Your sons, what, what are they? What are they doing? Indeed, um, we've got two boys. One's finishing his A levels yes. at the moment. He's currently off on a skiing trip with his girlfriend for the first time. So I'm hoping cool. he comes back with all limbs intact. Yeah. Um, but seems to be really enjoying it. And our eldest is currently at UCL in London at the university, and he's doing a three-year course plus a year abroad, so a four-year course. Um, but he's heading out to Seattle to do his year abroad wow. um, later this year. So, yeah, they're doing they're doing super. And, and I guess for me, you know, that's really down to Ray, my husband, you know, because he was there. You yeah. know, I, I was there probably 30% of the time, but he was definitely there 70% of the time. Yeah. Um, and he is the one that has brought them up to be very balanced, you know, normal, kind, nice people. Yeah, no, they so. were, because I had a nice chat with your son. And, and before we end with your, your top tip, any final thing that you'd like to uh, share? I mean, I often ask people, you know, what, what was the darkest part of their life? I think you've talked about that with your cancer, unless mm. you have anything else mm -hmm. you'd like to share. But is there anything else that you'd like to share with those who are listening to the podcast about being an inspiring leader and who's inspired you and things like that? I would say, you know, it was quite hard to go from being a busy, successful exec to being a non-exec because you tend to be who you are as a title, as a job title. It's your identity, you know, And it? it's your identity, it absolutely is. And I think going from being a, you know, a chief exec of a big business to being a person who happens to be on a number of boards, you know, it's it's very different. And I would just say, when you get to that point, if that's the, the route you choose, give yourself some time, you know, be kind to yourself, do the things you want to do, and, you know, recognise that you are doing what you're doing for all of the right reasons. Yeah. Um, because otherwise, I think it can have quite a big dint in your confidence. You yeah. know, you've gone from having this big, high-profile job. Um, I was chatting to somebody the other day who's recently come from a very senior role in the military, and he was saying, you know, he'd been he'd been in a situation where people would drop him off at the door, and now he's on the tube. You know, it, yeah. that's the difference, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Oh, and well, I think it? you have to look after yourself when you go through that and get ready for that situation and it as brings well. you back to your humility and your humanity completely completely yeah. yeah good good no so, that's a very good point okay so Anything i think else? my my last top tip for you would be you know just be yourself i see so many people in organizations and as i was in my executive career trying to be desperately like their boss or like somebody or you know trying to emanate somebody else and i would just say be yourself you know i am a northern girl i don't have a degree um, you know, I love spending time with my kids. I don't want to be in London five days a week. You know, that that's just who I am, yeah. you know. And I would say to be authentic as a leader, you have to show who you really are, not who you think you should be. Yes. And I think that's hugely important. Fantastic. Annette, thank you very much indeed. Very inspiring as I knew you would be. And good luck with the Ned roles that you're doing thank you. and making a difference to the lives of the people you meet. Thank, thank you very you. much. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, 
or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.